right, open your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the Bible in the pew in front of you is available, and we're going to be on page 1039. So last week, we finished our series, just kind of kicking off our year, talking about who we are and who Jesus is making us into, we, who, we, um, who, who we are becoming. Uh, and next week, we are going to start a study through the book of Colossians. So this week is a little bit of, a, of an off week. Um, we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. And, and as always, uh, if you have questions as we go through the sermon this morning, you can text them to the text number on the screen, and we will interact with those uh, at the end. The reality of this morning is that the purpose of today's sermon is to share with you a really, what I would call a profound story of the grace of God in the life of one of the members of our church. Um, But before they come up and share their story, I thought it would be important to give a little bit of theological context for what they're going to talk about. That's what we're going to be doing today. My daughter, Nora, uh, is nine years old, and she loves to be outside. She loves to be in the dirt, in the mud, in the rain, in the grass, in the sun, doesn't matter, the snow, whatever it is, she loves to be outside. But the problem that she has is that she often goes outside without the proper clothes on. She um, has a very frilly summer dress on, and she wants to go play in the snow. Or it's rainy and muddy, and she's got tennis shoes on. Or she goes outside without gloves on, and and she doesn't realize that she's freezing for like half an hour, and then she comes in just shivering. See, Nora underestimates the needs of the situation. And there's, there's two considerations that she doesn't think through. She, she doesn't think about what to prepare for, and she doesn't think about what to prepare with. In this passage, Paul tells us about something out in the world, and he tells us what to prepare for, and he tells us what to prepare with. Now, the, the prepare with section is probably more famous. We call it the armor of God. Maybe if you're a church person growing up in church, you learned about it in Sunday school. Maybe you even dressed up like a soldier to, to show off the armor of God. And it's worth our study. But today, we are going to be focusing not on what to prepare with, but what to prepare for. And if we fail to heed Paul's words here and prepare for this situation, we will underestimate our own weakness. We will underestimate our enemy, and we will underestimate the situation that we find ourselves in. So first off, we're going to underestimate our weakness. Look at at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Paul reminds us that we need strength. If we need strength, what does that imply? That that we don't have it, that we are weak. Paul says specifically, we need strength from the outside, from the Lord. God, he has vast strength. 
And Paul commands us to be strengthened because he's letting us know that God's strength is available to us. And this, this is really the gospel, isn't it? It's the work of Christ that saves us. It's the power of Christ that gives us strength. We don't, we don't bring anything to the table. All we're called to do is accept the invitation. We fall at the feet of King Jesus because we have overwhelmingly vast need. And he has overwhelmingly vast strength. But the problem is, is we often overestimate our abilities. Uh, a long time ago, when, when Joanna and I were first married, we uh, had a gym membership. We I still have a gym membership, but it was back then. And I, I've fancied myself a weightlifter. I mean, you can tell. And I was, uh, I was, I was on the bench doing the bench press but I was doing it by myself. And I, if you're familiar with the bench press, there's the one where the, the bars kind of attach to that pulley system so you theoretically can't hurt yourself. Well, I put too much weight on the bar. And I just remember laying on that bench with the bar on my neck, just thinking, I'm going to die here in 24-hour fitness. And someone... Some kind man walked up and he grabbed the bar with one arm and he pulled it off me. He said, hey, you need a little help? And I want to be like, no, I got this. But yeah, I needed a little help. I had overestimated my abilities and I was unprepared for the weight. And often we think this. We think, I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I have access to the right kind of technology, the right techniques, the scientific progress, whatever it is that I've accumulated. And maybe we don't necessarily say those things out loud, but deep down, we think that and we live that way. We ignore the strength of God because we've got everything figured out. We, we walk out the door every morning without prayer, without soaking our minds in scripture, without any real dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because at some level, we just think we can handle it. And I think of my daughter coming in the house with her, just, her fingers just chilled to the bone going, it's really cold outside. Yeah, because you didn't, you didn't put gloves on. You thought you could handle it. But you were wrong. And we're surprised when our peace is shattered and our joy disappears and our anxiety and our anger overwhelms us because we don't adequately prepare. We don't even think about the enemy that is trying to destroy us. So we underestimate our weakness, but we also underestimate our enemy. Look at verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Paul does something really interesting here. He's, he's just finished earlier in the book of Ephesians what, with what scholars call the household codes. He does this, does this in several of his letters where he just kind of lays out what it looks like to be good Christians in the home community. And he talks to husbands and he talks to wives and he talks to parents and he talks to children and he talks to slaves and he talks to masters. 
And he, he really, we don't have time to get into it in depth, but he really subverts the Roman household in a really Christ-centered way. But Paul has just got done giving us very domestic advice. And so then Paul starts talking about the enemies of, in the context, the family of God. And maybe, maybe you would expect, you know, drug dealers or Hollywood or MTV or whatever we think get in the way of domestic life. But no, he says, it's the cosmic powers of darkness. That's a little heavy. See, the reality is, is we are at war, Christian. And if you think the enemy is people that don't vote like you, or non-Christians out there in the world, or, or even Vladimir Putin right now, like you're going to go outside without gloves on and get frostbite because that's not who our enemy is. John Stott writes, if we hope to overcome them, the enemy, we shall need to bear in mind that they have no moral principles, no code of honor, no higher feelings. They recognize no Geneva Convention to restrict or partially civilize the weapons of their warfare. They are utterly unscrupulous and ruthless in the pursuit of their malicious design. What Paul tells us here is that there are spiritual powers, sentient, non-material beings at work in the world bent on your destruction. And that's who the enemy is. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And so we underestimate our weakness, we underestimate our enemy, and then we underestimate the situation that we are in. Verse 13, we read, For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Paul says we need to take up God's armor. We need protection from the enemy that comes from God himself. And, and if you read through the virtues in this list, it's really just a list of Christian formation. It's really a list of what it looks like to be like Jesus. It's the kind of people that Christ is forming us into. Focusing your heart and your mind on the ideas and practices that Jesus lays out for us in the word of God will shape you into someone who looks like him. And Paul says, don't worry though, you don't need to do this until the evil day. So when's, when's that? When's the evil day? Well, if you go up a chapter to Ephesians 5, Verses 15 and 16, you read, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So Paul says, right now is the evil day. Right now is the day that we are at war. Right now is when we need to take seriously the situation that we find ourselves in. Right now is when we need to take seriously the enemy that we are in battle against. 
And right now is when we need to take seriously our inherent weakness and the strength that God provides us. So how is this enemy that we have at work, if we want to take him seriously, if we want to be aware of the schemes of the devil, like Paul says, what does that look like? Well, first of all, he says that there's rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces. And these are all different ways of describing what I believe are different kinds of spiritual beings, maybe types, maybe ranks, maybe hierarchies. We don't really know, but Paul uses different words for different reasons. But the reality is that Satan and his minions are not God. They do not have God's power. They cannot be everywhere at once. And they do not know everything. But scripture does describe them as organized and engaged in a battle against God's people. One that they know that they will lose, but that they will do their best to cripple the advancement of the kingdom of God in the meantime. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now, when we recognize that the devil is not God, he is not equal to God, we don't have this kind of Eastern yin and yang theology where there's the good power and the the bad power, the light power and the dark power, and they're equal but opposite. That's not true at all. Our God, our King is almighty in every way. The devil is so much less than. So the devil can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't have all power. He doesn't have all knowledge. So odds are you are not personally of enough strategic importance for the attention of the devil himself. Sorry. But are there spiritual powers in this city paying attention to those of us who are by the power of the Holy Spirit advancing the kingdom of God? with the intention of destroying us. Absolutely. So what does this look like? Primarily, lies. John 8, Jesus says, he's talking to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil and his agents are liars. Lies are their native tongue. They are fluent in lies. John Mark Comer describes the warfare we are in as deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Imagine a burning ember. That's you and that's me and we are sick with sin. We have this internal impulse to do wrong. But what does it take with a burning ember to start a fire? 
Someone has to blow on the flame and set it next to a bunch of other fuel. Maybe it's just the sin of lust that lives in your heart that the enemy comes along and blows on just a little, and that leads you one step closer to an affair. Maybe it's the pride and greed in the president of Russia's heart that just needs a little help from the enemy, just a little lie, and it turns into genocide. See, we are, we are sinful, broken people, but we are also made in the image of God. And, and most often it takes a help of the cosmic powers of darkness to create the kind of gross destruction that we see on a regular basis. And the devil is more than happy to speak his lies into human hearts and light that fire over and over and over again. Jesus says in John 10, a thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. So this is where we're going to pivot a little bit this morning because most of the time, the devil's schemes are deceptive ideas, lies that are spoken into our hearts, that fan our own sinful desires into flame. But sometimes that's not enough to stop God's people. Sometimes God's people in God's power ignore the devil's lies and we advance the kingdom forward and men and women fall to their knees in allegiance to Jesus. Lives are rescued by God and the kingdom grows. So sometimes the enemy plays extra dirty and things get physical I'm going to share with you three sections of scripture that illustrate this. The first one is the book of Job, chapter 2. We read, One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. So question for everyone, is Job a good man? Is he a godly man? Yeah, God is bragging on him, right? Look at Job. Job's so great. And Satan attacks him with a skin disease in order to get him to be disloyal to God. Here's another example. Luke 13, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. 
But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on one of those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? So another question, is this a godly woman? We have no hint in this passage of her immorality or occultic participation. We don't we get the impression that she was off playing with Ouija boards. Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. He meets her at church. And yet she has been disabled by a satanic spirit for 18 years. One more example from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Paul's just gotten done talking about how he was taken up into heaven and he can't talk about it. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is Paul a godly man? Is Paul a Christian man? Yes. And God allows some kind of physical hardship that is caused, Paul says, by a messenger of Satan. We don't know what it is. And in this case, God chooses not to relieve Paul of it. He calls Paul to suffer with it, and he uses it to make Paul more like Jesus. So I grew up believing that Christians can't be demon-possessed because of this verse. This is 1 John 4. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, that's kind of taken a little bit out of context. That's not really quite what that verse is about. But I still don't think Christians can be possessed by evil spirits. Possession suggests ownership, and if you are in Christ here this morning, Jesus owns you. Satan does not. We read that in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Gary Brashears elaborates on this. He says, Satan and his forces have no actual legal authority over the believer. Despite his claims and how much he may take advantage of our sin, unbelief, weakness, ignorance, or fear, he is disarmed. We are members of the kingdom of light, 
And therefore all sins were forgiven. All condemnation is ended. All cultic vows, promises, covenants, etc., were rendered null and void when we came into Christ's kingdom authority. That is the truth about you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you do not belong to the enemy. But we are ignorant of the devil's schemes if we do not understand that it is possible for committed followers of Jesus to be attacked physically, mentally, and psychologically, as well as spiritually, by dark spiritual forces. Maybe we would call it oppression. The Bible uses the word being demonized. For many of us, maybe for most of us, that's just not a category that we have. We don't operate in a world where that seems to be the reality. Maybe a missionary from Uh, Africa comes and visits and tells stories about that kind of thing happening over there. And, And we just say, well, you know, that doesn't happen in America. But I think it does. So that's the background for this morning. Um... So I'm going to invite my wife, Joanna, up to come share some of her story with us. Good morning, church. I'm up here a little scared and very grateful. But I want to share with you what God's done in my life. To share this good news, I believe that I have to start at the beginning. And this is one of those stories that starts out hard, but it gets better. So five years ago, this February, in the early days over praying over this church plant, I had what we thought was a random allergic reaction that landed me in the ER with IVs and oxygen. It was scary. But we figured until tests were in, I just wouldn't eat what I had before. Um, That seemed easy enough. It seemed like I was in control. That became the beginning of my body breaking. What started with an episode turned into an everyday for me. I lost food after food, and not like a stomachache, kind of can't eat it, but throat closing, hard to breathe, anxiety-inducing way. I took test after test, saw many doctors, and found no answers. It was defeating. And ironically, my longtime comfort when I was stressed was ripped from my hands. Food. Couldn't stress eat. Being hangry was a big struggle with me in that season. And as weeks rolled into months, that rolled into years, I was down to about a dozen foods, That's not meals, those are ingredients. So it was pretty slim pickings. And somewhere in those years, I began to see anger surface in ways that I didn't know could manifest in me. And I didn't know what to do with that other than to pray and ask Zach to pray for me. Control became a struggle. If we were going to travel, would I be able to eat anything? 
What about when people ask us over for dinner and I have to explain why I'm going to have to bring my own food? I wanted to be low maintenance and I couldn't be. Not for Zach, not for my friends, not for my family. But that's what I inwardly wanted and needed to be. Last year, I began seeing specialists. I went to therapy to learn how to breathe right and swallow. I'd try everything to reintroduce a new food, only to fail and to surrender to Benadryl. It was hard not to feel defeated, but also wanted to, I wanted to learn how to practice contentment through it. I believed that God could heal me, and at that point, I was convinced that that wasn't his plan for me and that I would continue to be refined through it. A few months ago, my sister mentioned a podcast that I should listen to on the unexplained health problems and demonization being part of that. I thought that sounded odd. I'm walking with God. His Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm growing in him, but okay. I even casually asked God to cast out anything inside me. Nothing happened, so I kept making a meal for my family that I couldn't share in. And unintentionally, I forgot about the podcast. About a week later, Zach mentioned that I should listen to a podcast about demonic oppression and unexplained health problems. It was the same one. And I thought, okay, God, you got my attention. Sounds weird, but I'm listening. And that's just before I went on a personal retreat to be alone with God, to be quiet and to pray. And I listened to those podcasts. I spent time in his word and I prayed. And in that time of stillness, and with a much different heart, I asked God to reveal to me if there was something inside me, something oppressive. And I asked him, if so, to remove it. And in that moment, I felt something physically within me move, but not necessarily leave. And I asked God what to do. And immediately, the passage in Mark 9, 29 entered my mind. This kind can only come out with fasting and prayer. So I came home from my retreat and shared with Zach all that I learned and experienced. And I asked him to join me in fasting and praying when I felt ready. And he agreed. A few days passed, and that Sunday morning, I felt like it was time. So we fasted and we prayed. And this is where I'm going to let Zach help tell the story, too. Yeah, so we, this was about a month ago, spent the day fasting and came home that night, put the kids to bed, and uh, we sat down on the couch, and I asked Joanna to go get her Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which I, I read um, to you a few minutes ago, that um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And I said, read that out loud. And, and she, she couldn't, she, she, was, she stumbled through it and, and she had to read it a few times to get, get it out. And I thought, what, what was weird? And, and I said, do you believe that? That's true about you. If that's true about you, then, then you can, in the name of Jesus, tell whatever is going on in you that they have to leave, that it has to leave. And so she began to speak those words and I, I put my hand on her back and about halfway through a sentence, she stopped speaking. And I tell this story only because I was there 
her head dropped down and she was sitting on the couch with her hands open as she prayed and every single muscle in her body started clenching and tightening and her neck started bulging and her skin went flush red. And I thought for sure she was going to vomit. That was the, the posture she had. And that lasted for about 20 seconds. And then it, and then it stopped. And she just looked up at me and she said, I feel so peaceful. Yeah. Yeah, what followed was peace. And a little bit of shock of what happened. I wasn't really sure what it meant at first, but over time I noticed I wasn't really angry or anxious anymore. I wasn't scared to try foods or anything really, and my paralyzing fear seemed gone. And for the first time in years, I experienced healing, and suddenly things that would have sent me into a sea of Benadryl and anxiety and frustration were fine for me to eat. I was healthy. Raspberries, blueberries, chicken, pork, vegetables, teas, things I was told I would never have again. I'm been safely fine to eat. Also, the way I see and experience food is a little different now. Hanger hasn't been a thing. And yes, I get hungry, but it's more like just refueling myself and the thing of a hangry Joanna coming in hot is gone. And the newfound ease of sharing a meal with my family has been such a blessing. Communion, getting to do that with you guys without Benadryl has been so sweet. One of the sweetest things to have back. I'm truly grateful for what he's done. And I wanted to share this with all of you for a few reasons. First and foremost, to give glory to God. And the power of his name became real to me through this experience. Second, many of you guys have prayed for me for these past five years. And I wanted to share that those prayers have been answered and thank you guys for faithfully praying. Third, prior to this experience, I didn't have a framework for this. I remember thinking the timing of this was a spiritual battle, but I didn't really know. I don't pretend to understand spiritual warfare or believe that all sickness is demonic, but I'm more aware that a believer who is growing and pursuing Christ can have oppression. I think bringing light to that is important. That's all I got. Yeah. Stay up here. Yeah. So... So if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, or if you know us, this is not normal. The only reason that we felt like we should share this is because it, it happened. And I've, I've felt like I've had a theological framework for this kind of thing. I, I learned about this stuff in books. Uh, but I've had no experiential framework for it. Uh, and it's just, it's just been an amazing transformation in our home um, to, be, to, to have Joanna free from it. Um, so again, thank you for all your prayer and um, just, we just praise 
the Lord for his faithfulness. As we wrap up this morning, and, and we'll do a little Q&R as well, but as, I, I, just, I have some practical things that I want to lay before you. And the first one is, as I've, I've, as I've experienced this and as I've reflected on it, it's possible that spiritual oppression of this kind is more common than we think. We live in a culture that dismisses the supernatural, that has just decided that that's what, you know, uh, generations past and, and, and natives in, in Africa believe, but that's not what modern people understand about the world. But that's not the biblical view of the world. The Bible is clear that, like I said earlier, we are at war and we have an enemy and he does not play fair. And so whether it's through continual unrepentant sin or by participation with dark spiritual power or simply because we're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, we need to be aware that this kind of thing is real. We need to be aware that, um, like Dr. Mike Heiser says, the world is stranger than we think. But the second thing that I want to make everyone aware of is, is that it's easy to go kind of off the rails when you start talking about the reality of the demonic. Not everything is a demon's fault. Sometimes there is real unexplained physical illness. There is real mental illness. Sometimes medication is the right thing to do. Sometimes we just have to understand that we live in a broken world and bad things will happen because of the sin that we live in all the time. Pastor John Thompson, uh, who, who uh, was the speaker in the podcast that we listened to that started us thinking about this, he says this, he says, there is not a demon behind every bush, maybe every third bush. I don't know if that's helpful to anyone or not, but... Um, we need to be aware of this reality, but not overly preoccupied with it. One of my um, mentors, Dr. Gary Brashears, he talks about demons and he says, demons are like rats. There's no reason to be afraid of them, but you don't want them in your house. Thirdly, we need to be clear that we don't have the power to overcome spiritual darkness. Jesus does. In Acts chapter 19, there's this story. We read, now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by this Jesus that Paul preaches, Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. The spiritual world is real and it can be dangerous. 
And we're not sharing this this morning because we're starting an exorcism ministry. That is, that is not the goal. We're sharing it because it happened, because it's amazing, and because Jesus needs to be given as much glory as we can possibly muster for it. We want to be aware. We want to help one another in this area. Maybe many of you are thinking of yourself or people that you know that, that, hey, maybe something like this is going on in this person's life. But the thing is, is we don't know what we're doing. We're not authorities here. We just witness the power of God in an amazing way. And we want to share it. And lastly, I believe that God has gifted his church to deal with these sorts of things. There's a gift called the distinguishing of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's the supernatural ability to sense the demonic at work in a person or a space. And I don't have that gift. But if it's true that we are at war with spiritual powers intent upon destroying people and handicapping the expansion of the kingdom, we need members of our church that we can trust through the power of the Holy Spirit to point out when spiritual power is at work attacking God's people. And I believe that someone in our church has that gift because I believe that all of the gifts are present in God's people. And that's one of the reasons that we're studying the spiritual gifts in our community groups. Another shameless plug to be in a community group, to figure out what our gifts are and how we can serve one another in the body of Christ. So, what do we walk away from today? God is good. Christian, you belong to Jesus. He has won the war. But the enemy hasn't surrendered. So we need to be prepared to fight. Paul continues in Ephesians 6, Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Like I said, we're not going to deeply get into this section this morning, but these are all Christian virtues. These aren't special magical powers. These aren't incantations or, or ceremonies. These are just having a relationship with the Lord, being in the word, flooding your mind with truth, walking in holiness. I believe that God's church is advancing. Jesus said it would. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. And God's church in this room and throughout churches in this community are taking ground for the kingdom of God in Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls and Hayden and Rathdrum and Athol and all over North Idaho. And the enemy doesn't want to see that happen. He wants to stop it. He wants to shut it down. And if he can't tempt us with lies, he's more than willing to play dirty and attack us physically and emotionally and mentally. 
And we need to be aware that that's the battle that we're in. And we need to support one another and trust in Christ in his vast strength to overcome it. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.